0: Today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. Would to God that we would be ruined
1: for Him. That He would spoil us in His goodness and His grace. Oh God, You are so good. God, You are too good. You are too much. Paul had tasted of that. And that's why he could praise God in prison. That's why there's no mention of him complaining
0: in prison concerning his lot. This is In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Ephesians. When we've tasted of the goodness of God's grace, our perspective during hard times changes. Today, Pastor J.D. opens the book of Ephesians by reminding us we're saved and sanctified by the grace of God. If we're in Christ, we're called saints. who have been set apart for God. Praise Him today for the grace He shows you daily. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone and Android mobile app. Now, here's Pastor J.D. in Ephesians chapter 1 with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth.
1: The title that I chose for today's teaching is Change Based on God's Grace. Have you ever wondered why it is that those sinful habits seem to persist year in and year out. Why is it that we can resolve to spend more time in God's Word and spend more time in prayer? And for men, we resolve to and desire to be better fathers and better husbands and better Christians. And men of God. And then it seems that we're met with failure. It's not long before we fall short. And then there's the enemy right there, right? Building this infrastructure of guilt and condemnation, which just serves to take us down even further into discouragement. And it's such a vicious cycle, isn't it, where once we fail, we vow to God, you know what, I'm going to try harder. I will never do that again, or I'm going to do that more. I'm going to try harder to be better. I just imagine the Lord in His compassion and loving kindness and grace, just sort of chuckling, (laughs) as if to say, no you're not. <laughs> you might try harder, but it's going to come to naught. And there's a reason for that. And the reason is very simple, and I in some ways believe that it might in fact be too simple. And the reason that we're met with failure is because we're trying in the energy of our own strength to accomplish that which can only be accomplished by way of God's grace. Can I say it this way? It's all of grace. It's all of grace. What is grace? Oh my. Try to define grace. I can't. I have to confess that Whenever it comes to that place in God's Word where we're talking about grace, I'm overwhelmed, I'm intimidated, I'm reminded of my wholesale inadequacy. To even teach the topic, even today on the way here, I'm praying, I'm really begging God, God, you've got to help me, because today it's about your grace. I know your grace intimately, personally, powerfully. But when it comes to teaching about grace, I just, without you, find it impossible to even begin to talk about your amazing grace, your unfathomable grace. So I'm just going to trust that God in His grace (laughs) is going to enable me to talk about His grace. Ephesians is different than the other epistles, especially the epistles to the Corinthians and the Galatians, both of which we have just completed, and both of which were written to address some really serious problems that were in the church. It's for this reason that Ephesians is a favorite for many, as one aptly noted, Ephesians is Highly praised and highly prized by commentators as the queen of the epistles. I have to say this by way of an introduction. We are in store for quite a treat and quite a blessing in our study through this amazing epistle to the Ephesians. Here in Ephesians, the Apostle Paul is going to expound upon, even sum up, The doctrinal themes of his other epistles, and he starts where it should always start. It starts with the doctrine of grace upon which everything is based, and specifically and foundationally it begins where everything begins, which is that of our salvation by grace. When we get to chapter 2, Verses 8 and 9, that famous passage, well-known passage, Paul writes, For it is by grace, grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. I was thinking about this this last week in preparation for today's teaching. And it's this. If we're saved by grace, it's not of ourselves. We bring nothing to the table of salvation. We're just saved by God's grace. We call it unmerited favor. That doesn't even begin to describe the grace of God. The grace of God is such that it saves us, and if the grace of God can save us, then wouldn't it stand a reason that the grace of God can also sanctify us? Let me take it a step further and say this. If we're saved by grace, we bring nothing in and of ourselves to the table of salvation, then wouldn't it stand a reason that we also bring nothing to the table of sanctification? If we're saved by grace, then it sounds like we would also need to be sanctified by grace, right? Can you imagine? I'm going to save you by grace through faith, but then after that, you're on your own. Figure it out. You're going to have to stay saved. I do? No. You're saved by grace, and you're sanctified by grace. And that's what I'm hoping we're going to see here as we get into our study today. Before we jump into the text, there's a couple of interesting details about Ephesians that I think would be good to point out. First, Paul, as he did with his letter to the Philippians, which by the way, that's next. (laughs) Uh, As he did with his letter to the Philippians, Paul writes this from a Roman prison. Did you know that? He's writing this letter to the church in Ephesus, incarcerated. He sits there in prison unjustly, and he knows that he faces the possibility of being put to death. Think about that. Here's the second interesting detail about this epistle. Did you know that the city of Ephesus was one of the most occultic and satanic and sexually immoral cities of that day. It was home to the temple of Diana. And without going into graphic detail, the most unspeakable sexual perversions would take place in that temple, in that city. And this is the church that Paul writes to in Ephesus. Now, why do I point that out? Because conspicuously absent from Paul's writing is any mention or any hint of any complaining. Paul is not complaining about who's in office. I'm speaking to myself, that convicts me. There's no mention of, can you imagine, can you believe what they're doing in the temple of Diana? No. No complaining, no mentioning, no anything about any of that. Why? Because Paul's focus solely is on the grace and the goodness of God in spite of the fact that he sits incarcerated unfairly, unjustly. He's in a life and death situation. He faces death. He finds himself in this place where he faces death. Now here's a question. How is Paul able to do this? It reminds me when him and Silas in the book of Acts, remember that book? (laughs) I love that book. Anyway, they're sitting in uh, prison and they're praising God. They're praising God. Come on, man. If I'm in prison, I would love to stand here before you and come off all spiritual and say, yeah, I would praise God. No, I wouldn't. I'd be complaining. I'm here unjustly. I'm innocent. Let me out. Where's my attorney? No. He's praising God. They're praising God. And you know what happens after that. It's quite amazing. But how is it that... The Apostle Paul is able to do this. Answer, because he had drunk deeply from the cup of God's grace. He had tasted and seen that the Lord is good. I heard someone say it this way, and I really liked it, and I kind of stole it. So this is total plagiarism. I'll just, full disclosure here, okay? He said, when God got a hold of me, he ruined me for him. He ruined me for him. Oh, God, would to God that we would be ruined for him. That he would spoil us in his goodness and his grace. Oh, God, you are so good. God, you are too good. You are too much. Paul had tasted of that. And that's why he could praise God in prison. That's why there's no mention of him complaining in prison concerning his lot. What does he do instead? Oh, I think I'll pen by the power of the Holy Spirit an epistle to the church in Ephesus, whom I love so much. By the way, he spent more time in Ephesus than in any other church. Three years. The next church he spent the most time at, the Corinthian church, year and a half. This was the church of the first love. We have another letter, not written by Paul, but by the Savior himself, dictated by the Savior, written and penned, by the Apostle John on the island of Patmos in about the year 95 AD. We have it recorded in Revelation chapter 2. And it's very interesting about some 35 years later, this is another topic for another time, but I might just throw it out there. But think about this, 35 years later, approximately, that same church in Ephesus would receive another letter from the Lord himself. And the Lord would say to them, you have left not lost left your first love that's this church you could almost call that letter in revelation chapter 2 second ephesians though not written by paul just to kind of give you some historic perspective here well enter today's text where in verse 1 paul refers to himself as an apostle of Christ Jesus. Apostle's an interesting word. It really quite simply means sent out one. An apostle is a sent out one, sent out by Jesus Christ. And he says, by the will of God, the inference being not by man. I was not sent out by man, I was sent out by Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle. He then addresses it to God's holy people. Or, if you prefer, as some of your translations render it, the saints. And that kind of jams our gears a little bit. When we hear the word saints. well, I'm no saint. Actually, yes, you are, whether you like it or not. Yeah, but... I thought you had to go through like this whole process and you had to be approved and you had to do some like miracles, you know, and you had to qualify and then they had to vote and then that's, uh, um, that's called Roman Catholicism. Uh, it has no basis in the reality of scripture. <laughs> uh, you know what a saint is? Well, if an apostle is a sent out one, a saint is a set apart one. That's what saint means. Try this on for size. I did this. Doesn't work so well for me. Saint JD. Just doesn't quite work. It doesn't quite have that ring. Now, if your name is Paul, that really works. And I envy you, you know, Saint Paul. You just put your own name in there. Yeah, but that doesn't quite feel right or fit right. No, but it should because you're set apart. You are a saint. You are a saint. And this letter is not just to the saints in Ephesus. This letter is to the saints here at Calvary Chapel Kaneohe, to the saints at the church in Calvary Chapel Kaneohe. And yes, I'm pointing at everybody here. We're all saints. If you're born again of the Spirit of God, you are a saint. He calls them the faithful in Christ Jesus. It's first 2 that I want to draw your attention to because he greets them with this familiar greeting, as in his other epistles, where he says, "'Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ.'" Notice Paul says, "'Grace and peace.'" It's not, "'Peace and grace.'" Why? Because you can't know the peace of God unless you first know the grace of God. Let me say it this way. The peace of God is based on the grace of God. We cannot have the peace of God or peace with God absent the grace of God. We have peace with God because we're saved by the grace of God through faith. Pastor Chuck Smith used to call grace and peace the Siamese twins of the New Testament. I like that. That's how they go together, grace and peace. I like how one commentator said it. He says, grace is always first, peace always second. This is due to the fact that grace is the source of peace. Without grace, there is and can be no peace. But when grace is ours, peace must of necessity follow. Let me see if I can connect a couple of dots here and illustrate this. So you kind of messed up this last week. Didn't really have a very good week. That peace now that you once had prior has been disturbed. You no longer have that peace that comes with purity, that comes with obedience, that comes with intimacy, with the Lord, fellowship with the Lord, time with the Lord, in your relationship with the Lord. And now that peace has been disrupted. I blew it again. can't believe it. Oh, Lord, forgive me. There's not that peace that you once had. And again, like I mentioned at the beginning, Satan's right there to just rub your face in it. To heap that condemnation and guilt upon you, which just drives you down further in your wretchedness and hopelessness. The guilt is just crushing. Forget about the peace. Enter God's grace. Wait a minute, I'm forgiven. Romans 8.1 There is therefore now no condemnation, no guilt to those that are in Christ Jesus. Wait a minute, I'm forgiven. I'm not guilty. I'm literally not guilty. How do you plead? Not guilty. I'm justified. It's just if I'd never sinned. Though my sins be as scarlet, he makes them white as snow. He removes them as far as the east is from the west and remembers them no more. Where's this guilt coming from? That's stealing and robbing my peace, the peace that I once enjoyed. When I embrace the grace, the peace must of necessity follow. Peace is restored. That's how it works when grace is in its proper place, we can now talk about how a victorious Christian life leaves the realm of theory and enters into the realm of reality. A victorious Christian life can be realized. In fact, it should be the norm, not the exception. We should be walking in victory, not defeat. We are more than conquerors, not just conquerors, more than conquerors. With grace at home base, and please listen. In fact, I want to say this before I go any further. Lord ministered to me this morning, in fact, first thing when I got up, that Satan does not want us to hear this truth, this life-freeing truth. And he will do whatever he can to distract you or have your mind wander so that you don't hear this because he knows that this is a deciding factor in how you live your Christian life. Because absent this, he will keep you in defeat. I'm speaking from personal experience, please. When God showed me this, it changed everything. Here I am desiring. I I felt like Paul in Romans 7. Why do I keep doing the things I hate doing? Who will deliver me from this body, this wretched body of death? I can't take it anymore. If you ever start doubting God's love for you, and you're just sinking in the condemnation that Satan has for you, you need to spend some time reading the entirety of Romans chapter 8. It is one of the most powerful chapters in all of the Bible about nothing being able to separate us from the love that God has for us. If you ever doubt that, you need to spend time in Romans chapter 8. Don't spend too much time on Romans chapter 7. <laughs> Romans chapter 7 is very discouraging because, like Paul, you just realize how wretched you really are. But Romans 8 has to come subsequent to Romans chapter 7.
0: After we accept Jesus into our lives, we start a journey of faith with him. We don't always grow in our faith, though. Pastor JD's messages in the book of Ephesians encourage us to continually seek to grow deeper and deeper in our relationship with our Savior. We can't get comfortable and complacent in our walks. By spending time with other believers, diving into the Word, and spending time in communication with Jesus, we'll continue to grow closer to Him. We're so glad you tuned in to Pastor JD Farag's teaching today. We'd like to tell you how you can access additional messages. Simply visit InSpiritAndTruthRadio.com and click on Listen to search through our archive of Pastor J.D.'s teachings. Take these messages with you on the go with our mobile app. This app is free and provides you with hours of insight into the Bible, helpful links, and even the latest editions of Pastor J.D.'s Mid-East Prophecy Update. In these updates, Pastor J.D. looks into the news and events happening around the globe and compares them to the prophecies of the Bible, sharing God's views on what's taking place. These messages are new each weekend and will help you put world events into perspective. These Mideast Prophecy Updates are also available to watch on our YouTube channel, which you can access through inspiritandtruthradio.com. Join us on Facebook as well and keep up to date on everything that's happening at In Spirit and Truth. Thanks for joining us today. Pastor JD will continue studying through the book of Ephesians next time on In Spirit and Truth.